Well, thanks to our Bedford family for doing a good job of uh, leading us in worship today, and thanks for you being here, and thanks for those of you who are watching and worshiping online for tuning in. We are in this series called The Good Book. This week, you will arrive in Daniel chapter 6 if you're going through the series, and so we're going to talk a little bit about what Daniel 6 teaches us today as we consider the theme, Integrity Under Fire. Dr. Will Meek, Director of Counseling and Psychology Services at Brown University wrote this. He said, romantic love is when we have this consuming emotional experience and it usually lasts about a year and a half. Deep love comes after we see how imperfect the other is and commit to him or her anyway. No one makes that kind of commitment to me better than a mother. It's part of her quest to instill and implant into her children and grandchildren a legacy that will live on long after she is gone. I'm blessed that my mother is still alive, but my grandmothers, both of whom reached 100, have been gone for a long time. But can I tell you that their legacy in word and deed means more to me now than any other time in my life. Maybe it's becoming a grandparent myself that I look back to what I learned from them and what I've seen that I want to pass on not only to my daughters but to my grandchildren as well. And so even though they're gone, their legacy continues to live on. I like what author Noah Banshee writes. He says, uh, do not kiss your children so they will kiss you back, but so they will kiss their children. That's legacy. And true legacy spans generations because it is both selfless and timeless. And one of the best legacy gifts that you can give to your family is the legacy of integrity, a life of integrity. And no one in the Bible other than Jesus himself paints a picture of integrity any better than does Daniel. Now, by the time we reach chapter 6 of Daniel, he has become an elder statesman. If you remember the story, as a young man, he had been taken captive by the Babylonians out of his homeland of Judah, never, by the way, to return to his homeland. So his captive land becomes his new homeland. But in chapter 6, there is a change of leadership, and with a change of leadership comes ensuing challenges. Shortly after Belshazzar's feast and the magical handwriting on the wall... Darius, who is king of the Medes and Persians, rises to the throne over all of Babylon and the Babylonian territory to become the new ruler to whom and with whom Daniel would work. Here's how Daniel records it in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that it, the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now a satrap is an official. It is the Babylonian equivalent for us of a regional governor. So if you think of a governor of a state or a governor of a region or province, that's what a satrap is in this particular passage of Scripture. Not elected by the people, as we would do today, but appointed by the king. 
As Daniel begins his service with an all-new government, the king prepared to appoint Daniel over everybody else because he is such a trusted leader. But in the midst of all this, there is a plot that develops to, to take his life. These new governmental provincial rulers are angry that Daniel is going to be over them. And here's the reason why. Because they know he's a man of integrity and he won't put up with anything that's going on that's less than honest, that it's less than honorable. And they know that's going to put a crimp in their style. And so they begin to plot to take his life. I wonder if Daniel saw that coming. You see, sometimes our greatest enemies come from within, not from without. Daniel would have worked with these men for years, but they didn't trust him like he trusted them. Integrity takes a lot of work. It's interesting to me that Daniel was confronted with the test of his faith and commitment as a teenager, and then again as, an, as a senior citizen. You know, sometimes we, we think that these things won't happen that way, that we'll get it when we're young, but when we get older, but it's not true. I'm telling you, maintaining integrity is a lifelong battle. And the test at the end of his life was more critical than the test at the beginning of his life in Babylon. It doesn't get any easier with age. I'm learning that. As a younger man, I had misconceptions about growing older. I thought my mind would grow older with my body, but it doesn't. The mind begins and stays thinking young. Even though the body ages and aches and has more difficulty, the mind stays young and fresh. That's a good thing. I believed as a younger preacher that preaching would get easier and that I'd be less nervous on Sunday morning. I believed that conducting funerals would become less painful mentally and emotionally for me. I believed that eventually people would stop sleeping during sermons. But after 40 years of preaching, I can tell you honestly, none of that is true. More importantly, I believe that being tempted by sin would lessen with the passing of time. That spiritual disciplines like prayer and personal Bible study would become second nature to me. And that always making the right decisions as, old, as an older guy would come easily. None of that is true either. Age does not change the impact of one's daily challenges. Maintaining integrity is a lifelong struggle. One young preacher just starting out in ministry asked a seasoned, well-experienced minister, he said, when will I reach a point that I will no longer be tempted to sin? The older minister looked at him and smiled and said, son, I wouldn't trust myself until I'd been dead and buried three days. It's true, as long as you are drawing breath, you are susceptible to temptation and you can compromise your integrity if you aren't careful. Sometimes I think we visualize the historic episodes of the Bible through sort of a lens like Sir Arthur, King Arthur's court and, and Camelot and Sir Lancelot and all that, almost as if it's some kind of a glamorous romantic time of period. It's not. I'm, I'm telling you that, that Darius was not a godly king. He, he was no less vicious than his predecessors, Nebuchadnezzar and the whole Babylonian court. I'm, I'm telling you that things back then are as bad as they are today and things are as bad as today as they are back then. Darius was nothing more than a despot. He was a dictator as a king. 
It's just that he knew that he could trust Daniel because here's a man of integrity who he knows will hold everybody else accountable. And that's where the jealousy begins among these other leaders who tried to discredit Daniel, but they couldn't find any way to do so. And so they concluded their only recourse was to turn Daniel's good qualities against him and use those to destroy him. You might see that in life. Sometimes it happens to good people. So they approached King Darius with an airtight, foolproof plan that would once and for all rid their lives of this goody-two-shoe Hebrew administrator. There's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of things we can learn from this passage. So let's dig in for just a few more minutes. Here's the first thing I want you to learn. That is guard who you trust. The king should have known better than to be taken in by these governors. Let me tell you why the king should have been smarter than he seemed to be. First of all, they were dishonest. Did you notice what the Bible says in verse 2? It says the satraps, these governors, were made accountable to Daniel and these other two guys so that the king might not suffer loss. You understand what that's saying? It's saying that these guys could not be trusted with wealth. They could not be trusted with the tax money. They were doing anything they could to pilfer from the tax tables. So the king knew that he had to have somebody watching them all the time or they would dishonestly take everything. That's who Daniel was to oversee. So the king shouldn't have been taken in the first place. Second of all, they were devious. In verse 4 it says, At this the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They had used every means available to them. The Babylonian FBI, undercover Chaldeans, gossipy neighbors, you name it. They dug everywhere they could to find something against Daniel and they could not come up with any dirt on him. The king knew all that. So why was he taken in? Well, we'll find out in just a few minutes what happened. You see, in life, you and I need to be careful who we trust. Be gracious with your words and actions. Treat others with equal interest regardless of their place in society. Practice the golden rule as Jesus taught us, but be very guarded who you trust. Not everyone is worthy of it. I'm disturbed, I'm distressed by the number of scams that are out there today that are taking advantage of our elderly folks. Very believable stories. Very suave kind of approach to dealing with these people. These, these folks will come across as if they're your best friend or they've got your best interest at heart, but be assured they do not. And it's sad to say, but some people cannot be trusted. I wish all people were equally concerned for the truth and the well-being of others, but it just isn't so. There are those who will befriend you for what and how they may profit from your association. Steer clear of those people. Be nice to those people, but steer clear of them. If not, you may become an unwitting accomplice in their dishonest and devious plans. Daniel was smart enough to see it. We need to be smart enough to see it as well. Remember the words of Jesus to his own disciples in Matthew chapter 10. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Guard who you trust. Here's the second thing. Guard what you believe. Since this group could not dig up dirt on Daniel, they took a bold new approach. Verse 5. 
Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, folks, wouldn't it be terrific if people could say of us, you know, I can't find anything wrong with their life unless it has something to do with the relationship with Jesus. Maybe there's something about that that I don't like. How cool would that be that our integrity is so good? He goes on. So the administrators and the satraps went to the group as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, you have to admit, this plan was foolproof, given Daniel's faithfulness in prayer and the principle that once the king signed an edict or law, In the Medes and the Persians, it could not be revoked. Even by the king who came up with it, once it was signed and sealed, it had to happen. And notice, they didn't ask for a permanent law. They just asked for a short period of time. These guys are sharp. Man, they are sharp. You know, and they've come to the king and said, oh, king, live forever. We've got this great idea that we think you'll really like. We think that next month ought to be King Darius month. 30 days, nobody can pray to any other God or any other human being except for King Darius. You, sir, are so deserving of that. We just think that you'll be well honored by all of that. And all the people ought to honor you because you're a great king. Well, what's that do to the king? The king says, 30 days? What can be hurt by 30 days? Who could be hurt by 30 days? Sounds like a good idea to me. Signs the edict. Nobody gets to pray in the next 30 days to anybody but... Me, the king. Get the picture? Nothing was left to chance. These guys even spelled out the punishment. They didn't want to leave it open, just say, penalize the person, because then the king could come up with something else that said, no, no. If anybody is caught doing this, they'll be thrown to the lions. And they knew that Daniel prayed every day to his God. I mean, how, who can, who can, survive the onslaught of hungry lions. These were not lions in the wild. These were lions that had been captured. They were kept in cages. They were kept in a dark den. They were not fed very much to keep them hungry all the time so that when somebody was being punished and thrown to the lions, it was a death sentence. There was no coming out of that pit. I've read that with one swipe of of his paw, a lion can snap a human's neck. That doesn't count the, the fierceness of their jaw. They knew they had Daniel. No wonder, with the power of lions, Peter writes in chapter 5, verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, Satan was hard at work among these governors of Babylon. He's hard at work among us as well. But he doesn't roar until after he's attacked. Just watch out for him. Well, the king took it in hook, line, and sinker. The flattery just got to him. Dale Carnegie wrote this. He said, flattery is telling the other person precisely what he thinks about himself. (laughs) That's pretty true what flattery is. Flattery is like cheap aftershave cologne. An occasional whiff won't hurt you. Just don't swallow it. (laughs) 
Once again in life, you'll hear all kinds of things, but be discerning. If you have an acquaintance who is always telling you about the faults of other people around you, you be on your guard because when they're not around you, they'll be telling other people about your faults. And if you know someone who's always trying to flatter you, be on your guard. Flattery can be a strong verbal narcotic. Because he was so infatuated with the compliments, King Darius filled it out, signed the law, and lived to regret it. Jeff Daly wrote, when considering praise or criticism, first consider the source. Don't believe everything that you hear one way or the other. You see, encouragement is necessary, especially to help us persevere when we feel like giving up. And criticism is also necessary because it motivates us to excel at an otherwise mediocre life. Both criticism and praise are vital. We may not like the criticism. We may like the praise and the encouragement too much, but you need a balance of both to make life the best. But here's the deal. Know the source of where it's coming from because some sources just aren't reliable either way. Have a trusted friend, your wife, your husband, your kids, somebody that will be honest with you. I have a family that, that will be honest with me. And I am grateful. I may not always enjoy it, but I'm grateful because it's always to help me be better. And the encouragement comes with the criticism at times because we need a dose of both. Just be careful what you believe and who you hear it from. The book of Proverbs states, in the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. And it's true. Here's the last thing. Guard how you live. Guard who you trust. Guard what you believe. Guard how you live. Now, let me return to the second half of verse 4. They could find no corruption in him, that being Daniel, because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. That, folks, is integrity. And that's a great summation of Daniel's entire life and service in Babylon. I'd make a wonderful epitaph for a tombstone, wouldn't it? But I'm not sure any of us in this room could have that carved on our stone. He was so trustworthy and incorruptible that the only way these villainous rulers could possibly destroy him legally was to use God's word against him and his devotion to God against himself. Now, here's the part that amazes me the most. This law lasts for how long? 30 days. For 30 days, you can't pray to anybody but the king. Daniel's an old man. He has spent his entire life praying every day to his God. I'm afraid if I had been in Daniel's spot, I would have said this. Okay, Lord, here's the deal. You know my heart. You know what I've been doing. You know how I've been living all my life. You know that you are the most important thing to me in this world. But there's a new law for just 30 days. It's just for 30 days, Lord, I'm not going to pray because if I do, I'm going to die. And if I live, I got to serve you longer here. So it seems to be the most judicious choice to stay away from the death penalty so that I can continue to serve you. So Lord, I'll just be secretive about this. You know I love you. You know I'll serve you. But for 30 days, I won't be on my knees praying. That's what I would have done. I suspect that's what a lot of you would have done. Not Daniel. Daniel never skipped a beat. He knew what the new law said. He knew what awaited him. But he was not about to compromise what was most important to him. He was not about to compromise his integrity for fear of facing the lions. And so on day one, he prayed. By the way, 
the royal governors and, and leaders didn't need 30 days to catch Daniel. All they needed was one day to catch Daniel. They just needed 30 days to butter up the king. Okay, they could have had a one day pray only to the king. Wouldn't have impressed the king, but it but would have caught Daniel. You see, that's how faithful Daniel was in his integrity. And the minute they catch him, they haul him in before the king. The king is dismayed at the thought of Daniel's impending death. In verse 14, it says, the king became very upset when he heard this. He wanted to save Daniel, and he worked hard until sunset trying to think of a way to save him. The king's efforts were noble, but they came back on him real quick. They said, oh, don't forget, this is in verse 15. Remember, O king, the law of the Medes and Persians says that no law or command given by the king can be changed. They knew the king wouldn't like what was about to happen. They knew the king would try to wiggle out of it. That's why the plan was foolproof. You've got to do this. So the king reluctantly gives the orders. But he prays to the God of Daniel that he would rescue his friend. Daniel is thrown to the lions. The king watches as the lid is opened up and into this pit of lions, Daniel is thrown. He goes back to the palace. He refuses any entertainment. He refuses any food. He stays up all night long. I think he prays all night long. Early in the morning with the breaking of dawn, he hurries to this pit. They roll back the lid. And with tepid voice, he hollers into the hole. Daniel, has your God been able to rescue you? And out of the pit comes the word. May the king live forever. God has sent his angels to rescue me. Man, was the king happy. Here's his man. And God had intervened and rescued Daniel. But he's also angry. He is as mad as a wet hen because he knows that he's been used. So, since the lions haven't been fed for a night and since they're extra hungry... He gathers up all of these devious people and their families, and the lions have a banquet that night. You see, Daniel was spared by God because of his great integrity. Now, now I, I know what you're thinking, but let me say this quickly. No one can promise that if you always make the right choice, God will intervene to spare you. It, the Bible just simply does not tell us that. As a matter of fact, folks, you got to remember this. If the angels of God did not intervene to spare Jesus Christ in the garden from the cross, if the very Son of God was not spared from going to the cross, then what do we have to think that we'll be spared when we go through crisis moments in life? But I can assure you of this, that when you do what is right, God will be with you in the crisis. He'll be there. You will not go through it alone. And when you cannot see what the future holds, do the right thing anyway. Corey Ten Boom, who survived the Nazi concentration camp, said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. For the Christian, being faithful to God matters more than anything. Ultimately, I will answer to him alone, and so will you. So what I do in this world, I will give an account for before God. So my integrity and my relationship with the Lord must count first. During the Revolutionary War, there were people, there were colonists who kept both an English flag and the brand new American flag. And whichever army happened to be marching through their town, they would display that flag. So if the British army came through town, the English flags were out. If the American army came through the the, uh, the new American Stars and Stripes was displayed. These people wanted to be on the winning side. They didn't know who that was going to be. They just wanted to hedge their bets. 
But everybody who saw them fly two flags knew their hypocrisy. Those people can't be trusted. I'm going to encourage you this morning spiritually fly only one flag. It is a flag of allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. And if you do that, there will be times when you feel like as if you have been thrown to the lions of culture. But trust God to take even the most tragic of circumstances, the most difficult of moments, and out of such pain, he will bring promise. Judy Anderson grew up the daughter of missionaries in Zaire. As a little girl, she went to a day-long rally celebrating the 100th anniversary of missionaries coming to that part of Zaire. And she writes about it being a day, it was just a long, arduous day, all kinds of speakers. And she said, at the end of the day, a hunched over, old, ancient man stepped forward. And he didn't request, he insisted on being able to speak. And when they were hesitant, he said, I'm about to die. And if I die, this secret will go with me to my grave. So they let him speak. And the story he told was rather amazing. He said when the missionaries, he was a little boy. When the missionaries had first come, <clears throat> the, the tribe didn't like the missionaries, first of all, as people. They thought them strange. And they weren't sure about the message. The message sounded strange. This message of the gospel sounded strange. So they, they got their heads together. And they decided, the leaders of the tribe, that they would just slowly poison these missionaries and see how they reacted. And so they did over the next weeks and months. Slowly, the missionaries were being poisoned. Their sickness, they had no idea what was happening. They didn't know what was going on in their life, but they did not leave. They did not abandon their post. They kept preaching the gospel. And in their dying, they died with a peace and a strength that these natives had never seen. The old man said, we could not follow them. My ancestors could not follow them because of the way they lived and preached. But when we saw how they died, that's when we decided to live as they had lived. Even out of the tough, tragic moments of life, God can bring good. When the lions of compromise roar, remain steadfast in the Lord. Let us be a people of integrity under fire. Let us be a people like Daniel.